HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Aaron Bresnitz. Happy July 4th weekend. Hope everyone listening has some delicious plans, hanging out with friends or family, or maybe just going for a hike by yourself, or taking a dip in a pool with a cold drink close by. We head to Las Vegas for this week's episode, where we sit down with executive chef Sarah Thompson, who oversees Casa Playa at the Win Las Vegas. We talk about her time in New York, her discovery of cooking Mexican food at Cosme in New York City, and what brought her out to Las Vegas. And then it's deep into the archives for a legendary performance, at least legendary for us, from Cassandra Jenkins, all the way back from 2013. She talks about growing up in a musical family on New York's Upper West Side, and she shares some tasty tunes with us. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on this holiday weekend here on Heritage Radio Network. Nothing is left 
and nothing is left except the light, except the light, the light on your face. East rushes west and west rushes down. Feel Sarah, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for sitting down with us all the way from Las Vegas to Altadena in California. Thanks for making the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. Yeah, you know, um, I know you're from Boston or the Boston suburbs, and I actually went to school in Boston, and that's where I first fell in love in Mexican food with like Ana's Taqueria and El Pelon and all these places. And I don't think most people know that Boston has like a decent Mexican scene what was your experience with mexican food growing up or or in your hometown i'm not gonna lie uh i didn't even realize that boston had a, a mexican scene wow I, no you're teaching me things i mean i haven't i haven't spent a lot of time there since sure. you know, <laughs> um but growing up i um i never ate mexican food i've never eaten taco bell we never went anywhere that even remotely resembled Mexican food. So the fact that this is my passion and what I do professionally now is honestly kind of nuts reflecting on it. But, you know, despite that, like food has always been super important to me. So even if it's not Mexican food, there's always 
something going on, something, you know, braising, something cooking, something like, you know, trying and, you know. Your family was pretty supportive, right? Food and and cooking was a big part of growing up and and, in your life from an early age. Yeah. uh, I mean, we, every single night growing up, no matter what was going on, we all sat down and had dinner together. Mm -hmm. And ever since I can remember when I was in high school, the only thing I wanted to do was be a chef. That was it. I was like, I'm going to be a chef. Like I did my senior project and I made a, a cookbook and I did this whole cooking presentation. And really? My, oh, it was great. Yeah. Go on. What's uh, Just give us like an elevator pitch of what, what the cookbook was. Would fade and pick it up today? Uh, you know, it would need a little bit of sprucing up. <laughs> it's too long to find out, really. Yeah. Like through all of this, like through all of this, my parents were super supportive. They tried so many things that were just not good. Bless them. And like they had a a good face Mm. on. But, you know, when I told them I wanted to be a chef, they, you know, would take me to New York and take me to eat at restaurants, like take me to Chicago and be like, I really want to try this restaurant. And it was actually, it was incredible. I would not change any of that for the world. So having supportive parents like that and, I guess being a young chef in high school, I'm sure you tried pretty wild combinations in food and things like that. Getting started so young, did it allow you to have more confidence as you're older and edit and like give you an idea of what you would want to cook and how to cook for things that you may have never cooked before? I think that uh, I, you know, was definitely able to play around with a lot more things. Mm-hmm. All of the knowledge and the skills that I have just is based off of life and time. Like, you know, I wasn't going to leave high school and then go right to New York and start working in restaurants in the same way. It was, you know, a gradual process of learning all of these things and really, you know, paying attention to them and taking them in and using them in different ways. Speaking of New York, when I was going to school in Boston, I could just hear the drumbeat of the city and that gravitational pull. It was like, four hours away, worlds away in many ways from, from, you know, Alston and Harvard Yard and things like that. But like, it was incessant in how fast I wanted to get there. Did you have the same feeling about getting to New York City? It was the only thing I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) So I graduated from culinary school and my parents were like, just take a week, come home. Like, you know, and I was like, absolutely not. The next Car was packed. Moving to the city, uh, I got my like fifth story rock walk up apartment in Harlem. My parents were like, "You couldn't just go today," and I'm like, "I needed to move immediately." I yeah, need to yeah. Life. Yeah, did not miss a beat, and you know, didn't really look back. I didn't actually ever expect I would leave New York, honestly. And then a really great opportunity came up here, and you know, I miss it. I'm going back tomorrow, but you know. where are you eating? What's the, where, what's on the list? I'm gonna go to to Nero tomorrow. The new. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I haven't been in the city, I think, since they opened. So I'm super excited to check it out. Have you been? Mm-mm, I haven't been. I mean, I have a I have a long list that when I go back, because I'm the same way. I was like, get me to New York. And I'd left and I always think about going back. But it's like the list just keeps growing longer. Mm-hmm. And like the more time you spend away, the longer and longer it gets. And it's just like there's not enough time. <laughs> There's not. And you always, when you go back, you want to be like, all right, especially for you, you got your chef buddies, you got your restaurants, you got to go see them. And then you got your favorites. Like I go to who's wanting every time. And then there's the new spot. And you're like, there's never enough meals. But I, I think instead of making myself sick, I always think about when I go back to New York, like, I'll be back. I'll get another meal at some point. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I could probably eat Thai diner every day though. <laughs> oh, that's exactly where I ate last time I was there. So you're in New York, uh, fifth story walk up. God bless, uh, the no elevators in those old buildings. Hopefully you had some form of AC and you're finishing cooking school. Did you knew you wanted to do fine dining or were you just, was that was sort of just, and you can give us the year. Was that like just what was expected of you? It's like, I need to get into like this type of cooking to have a, a longer profession or like some sort of job career. It's just what I was interested in. Mm. Uh, when I graduated school, like I was really into Italian food. So mm-hmm. that- Let's go to the best Italian restaurant in New York. So I got a job at Morea. Uh, right around the time they got their second Michelin star, which was like really incredible to be a part of. I don't think I even realized what that meant at that time. But just being like a little line cook amongst all of these amazing chefs, it was it was insane. And, you know, from there in the education that you get from like learning all of these fine dining techniques and working amongst all mm-hmm. these great chefs, you realize I don't actually need to do fine dining forever. Like I can find different ways to learn about different cuisines that like are a little bit more casual. Like I have worked in fine dining for most of my career, but I have worked in other small restaurants that are a little bit less fine dining that are equally as important. Yeah. I mean, listen, you worked for Wiley, you worked for Andrew. I mean, you worked for some heavy hitters and now I think we've seen a shift, at least at the industry that it's great to have that fundamental fine dining when it comes to service and the business side of it and the approach and scalability and things like that. But then what you do with that's a little bit more accepted or even I was just having this conversation the other day. It's like fine dining. is like, I, I don't know anyone who's like, I'm going to go open up a fine dining restaurant. I've, I'm striking out on my own and this is, I'm going to do white tablecloths and sommeliers and things like that. Like, like in that straightforward nature that maybe when you were coming out of cooking school was the norm. I think that you're always going to find kids coming right out of culinary cooking school that are just like, I need to work at per se. I need to work at La Sure, That's what we're, we're taught from technique and like, that's what we want. But I think that one of the biggest things I took away from all of the fine dining restaurants I worked at is, you know, the hospitality side of it, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. giving them that experience, but it doesn't need to be a four course or seven course tasting menu mm-hmm. to be, so overthought like you can go and get a two or three course meal like get some great apps get some ceviches get a whole fish and have a better meal than you would if you were to like you know sit like have to feel like really proper and uninspired by an experience yeah or just feel that you're just part of a routine where you're just you're being plugged in even though that's what we have we've all signed up for it just sometimes it can just feel i don't want to say impersonal because they go out of their way to make it feel so special but it's like I'm getting the same thing as the person at the next table unless I'm adding sups or something like that. Yeah. Um, you were in New York during a really incredible time of cooking and chefs and things like that. What was the era like? What was the community like? You know, who were you going out to eat with? Where, what were you doing in the, in the days and the time you had off? Oh, my God. I was eating <laughs> anywhere I could. Yeah. Like, interesting because I was looking back. I was reflecting. And when I first moved to New York, yeah. I was – I need to go to every single Michelin star restaurant that exists. It was like sure. all the three stars, all the two stars. And now I'm like, I just want to eat good food. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to spend that much. I mean, I do sometimes want to spend that much money. Um, so and time and time. Yeah. Money and time. time. Yeah. So those first few years, it was all about like getting, checking off all those Michelin star restaurants off my list. Sure. And I, was like, I really want to experience some good sushi. I really want to experience yeah. like an say like this. I really want to experience 
like things that just didn't exist in that realm and started expanding and like, you know, you meet more people and they're like, you know, let's go out to Elmhurst. Let's go out to Mm -hmm. like, let's just like get our hands on these different cuisines and go to these different neighborhoods. And it's just like, whoa, like going out to flushing and eating Chinese. Like this is, this is better than anything I could find in Manhattan. Like this is amazing. So it shifted a lot. And, you know, of course, when I started working at Cosme, I started doing a lot more, you know, Mexican cooking, I would just be like, I got to eat at all the Mexican restaurants. I got to see what else is out there. I've never experienced anything like this before. Like, let's see what the competition's like and, you know, go from there. So how did you start working at Cosme? How did you meet Daniela and Enrique? What was that type of meeting like? It was literally all by chance. Really? Um, One of those New York things? Yeah, it was super random. I was working at Alder and they were closing. Mm. And they, uh, one of my, the pastry sous chef at Cosme at the time came in and we went to culinary school together. And she was like, Hey, like she didn't even know I was working at Alder. And like, I went out and said, hi, she's like, we're opening for more hours at this restaurant called Cosme. Do you want to come trail? And I needed a job and I hadn't really looked anywhere and I hadn't even heard of Cosme. Like they hadn't gotten their New York times review yet. Mm open for like two or three months like it hadn't really been like i didn't really know enrique or daniela so sure 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 went in and i trailed and it literally was probably the the moment in my career that changed everything like you went in and i was eating things i never knew existed like eating different types of moles doing things with chilies learning about nixtamalization and corn and Mm -hmm. what they were doing there was so different from anything that you see and like as a culinary professional, like I've been wanting to be a chef for over 10 years, like working in restaurants, went to CIA, did all these things. I was, it was my, everything was, a, it, was it was all new to me. And you don't experience that really often or ever. And I just really embraced it. And it was such a motivating place to work. Uh, Daniela and Enrique, both super great teachers and mentors. And then the people that I worked with, and, you know, worked alongside, they also are super incredible. A lot of them now own their own restaurants and have done super successful things. Like it was a great environment and like lots of growth, lots of learning. Amazing. Um, I want to come back and talk a little bit about that learning, that learning curve and cooking a, a whole new type of cuisine and then hear about what pulled you out to Vegas. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with executive chef Sarah Thompson of Casa Playa at the Wynn in Las Vegas. And you're over in Cosme. Your eyes have been opened. And you had admitted that you did not have much of a relationship with Mexican food from growing up or in your life. I mean, it's you know, if you work in kitchens and you have a family meal, at some point you're going to have Mexican food at some point. Oh, yeah. But, but, but novel, at least on a professional level. What was the learning curve like and how long did it take you to get comfortable with the food b- before you felt that you could say, I'd run a kitchen or I'd be able to even put my name on a menu that was Mexican food focused? I mean, it was, it was like when I started, it was just, like I said, we're learning so much so quickly. Every mm. day, you know, the menu was expanding. Uh, our team was expanding. We're doing so much like brunch and this and that. Uh, I can't put a date on it per se, but, you know, I did work in Mexican kitchens for about five years before we opened this place here. Mm. And it it was a lot. It was a lot of, you know, traveling around, uh, lots of, you know, just hours in the kitchen, getting your hands on these ingredients, uh, learning about where they came from, learning about sourcing them, uh, learning about the farms and the people who are creating these products for us. And the peers that I worked with at Cosme were super helpful. There's a lot of people from all over Latin and Central America that I worked with that also had different uh, views and different familiar stories. And one thing I love about Mexican cuisine is, you know, I learned this very specific style of Mexican cuisine. But, you know, if you grew up in a different part of Mexico, you learn something completely. Sure. You have sure. your on different products, different techniques. But in the environment that we worked in and in the environment that we have here at Casa Playa, people are encouraged to talk about that. So when I make my birria, one of my cooks is like, I'm going to show you how to make my birria and she'll show me and she'll use different chilies and like do a different technique. And like, we learn from each other. Like I'm still learning constantly about, you know, different areas and different, you know, ways to use ingredients. So it's really inspiring. I love it. Yeah. I mean, Mexico is huge. And if yeah. you ever be like, Oh, I opened up an American restaurant. It's like, okay, well, the North, the South, the Midwest, like what region, like what region, like what type of food, even if you did. And if you get went like farm to table or fresh ingredients or like what season, what region, things like that. But it gets lost a little bit because sometimes Mexican food has been filtered through a very specific lens in America to a lot of people. I would agree. And also where you are in the U.S. like directly affects what type of Mexican food you're having, like what you're oh, yeah. in Texas versus San Diego, like is completely different. So it's really funny because we get every, like everyone comes to Vegas. So like we get sure. California, get a lot of people from Texas and you know, the people from Texas are like, why don't you have flour tortillas? And the people Where's from- my queso? Yeah. And the people from California are like more seafood, please. And it's like, it's, it's fun. You know, we yeah. gotta. Yeah. It's, it's great. Cause everyone has their regional specific. So speaking of, of, of Casa Playa, you're in New York, you're reading Cosme. It's New York, it's the beating heart of, of so much. What what pulled you out of the city? What what actually was able to rent you away? Oh, oh, um, and how it, many hours a day do you spend regretting it? Just that's never mind. It was, it was a rough transition, but I'm really happy. I'm really happy here now. I love Castle Playa. I love my team. Yeah. Um, it was a job. Honestly, it was mm. an opportunity that I wasn't going to get in New York in the same mm-hmm. way. Um, I working in New York, like I worked for restaurants and like, even though like restaurants within restaurant groups, 
working for a hotel like this in this capacity, like mm. it's like a small little restaurant compared to the whatever, like the 18 or so F&B outlets that we have and the hundreds of hundreds of rooms and this and that, like I've never worked in a place that has all of these things going on, all these amenities and all of these resources. And it was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in the biggest and best hotel, you know, that I can work in and learn all of these things because, you know, there's no casinos in New York. There's no, uh, Mm-mm. nothing this big is in New York. And, you know, I can take all of this and, you know, go back to New York or go back anywhere, but I'm not going to get this knowledge, uh, anywhere else. Well, also the, the business side of it, of where, you know, essentially when you're a restaurant at a certain level, you're making your margins on booze, you know, yeah. like that is how you're keeping the lights on the food costs or what they are. But in Vegas, it's like the whole restaurant itself is an amenity yeah. to the business of the casino or the hotel. And that just changes the financials of how you can approach it and, and, and what you can serve and how big you can go. And, you know, if it's an off night or the plumbing breaks or something that's not posted to Instagram on sexy happens, like our HVAC collapsed. Well, you got the support there from like a much bigger backer. Exactly. And, you know, with that, we also have a lot more resources. Like my kitchen is, this is the nicest kitchen I've ever worked in in my life. And it's huge. I have three walk-ins. And like, <laughs> I, know, I was like, I, the last three restaurants I worked in had three walk-ins. Like one, I want one in each, but like, so it's, it's really with that, like we're able to do so much more. Like we're able to nixtamalize all of our corn in house mm-hmm. through, you know, on a slow day, maybe 60 kilos, but on a busy day, like maybe 120 kilos of corn. Like that's a wow. lot of corn. And we corn. all of the resources to do it here. And it just doesn't exist in other places. And it's great. Well, also I imagine the sourcing and the ideas, it's like, there's this thing about Vegas restaurants, especially ones that have counterparts in other cities or like this approach is like, you got a big idea you want to impress, like go forth. Like you want to go to, I think I read you pulled some of your produce from the Santa Monica farmer's market and you get stuff from Mexico and they're just like, sounds great. Order yeah. it up. Yeah. Send the, send the PO. It's great. I mean, it's, it is great. And the thing with also the farmer's market and all of that is, Vegas kind of has a bad rap because we're in a desert. So there really isn't a ton of farms here. But Mm. California, like that Santa Monica farmer's market, that's not that far from us. Like it's not, I mean, it's not like the green market in, you know, we're in New York, but we're still able to get all of these amazing products here. And it just isn't always recognized because it's always like meat, meat, meat. I'm like, everything is important. Like these tomatoes are just as important as like this absolutely delicious piece of steak we're serving. So it's great that we can bring it all in. So you mentioned before about the team you put together to open this, because I imagine the team you had to build not just had to be big and just physical numbers, but also you said that the regionality of the different chefs from Mexico, you wanted that represented in the kitchen as well. How'd you put the team together? What's it look like now? How have you all worked together to find and catch the rhythm of the restaurant? I mean, staffing was, you know, staffing is staffing. It's always going to be... Hard. Um, when putting the team together, I really wanted to make sure uh, there's a, a strong focus on female leadership. Uh, half of my management team is female, uh, nice. which is nice. uh, and you know powerhouses. They're great. Um, and then I also wanted to make sure that you know the 
people who are cooking this food were represented. Uh, like my entire tortilla team are from different areas of Mexico and they love mm. telling about, you know, when they're, you know, back home or wherever they're from, like how they do it, how they mill, how they put together their tortillas. And, you know, they are able to grow and work together. And, you know, they're also super familiar with these ingredients. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, we can teach you, like I'm, you know, a white girl cooking Mexican food. Everyone can learn how to do everything um, and learn all of these things about these cuisines. So we have a super diverse kitchen. We have, you know, someone from Germany. We have a lot of people from the Philippines, people from Korea, and mm. they all together with this greater purpose of like just wanting to be the best cooks they can be and wanting to make the best food possible and working together and learning and just being in that environment is super rewarding. And it translates every day at work. It translates in the food. You know, people are happy back there. They're making good food and, you know, it all pays off. That's amazing. So you were talking a little bit about, you know, the the in-house masa program, which is super special and getting you know, tomato, the right tomato is special and bringing in all this stuff. And I know that Vegas is always known for gilding the lily a little bit and just having that extra little touch. And I've been to high-end Mexican restaurants, both in, in Mexico and in America. But what's something that if I came into Casa Playa, I'd be like, oh, I have not seen this before in a Mexican restaurant. I mean, this is so open-ended because, you know, the food is all super unique. I mean, our tamal right now is one of my favorite things on the menu. Uh, and I keep telling everyone about it uh, because I'm obsessed with it. It's a summer spot. <laughs> uh, but instead of using lard, we use whipped coconut oil in place of it. So it's mm. all vegan. It's super, super light and fluffy. And instead of wrapping it in the corn husk, we wrap it in banana leaves. So it keeps it nice and moist. Mm. Um, and then we serve it with our mole verde. When the base of that is also coconut milk. So you get the layers of coconut. There's a little bit of Thai influence in there as well. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, garnish with a little bit of shaved patty pan squash. And it's just, it's phenomenal for the season. And I know it's just like a little small dish. Sure. Like appetizer, but I think it just really showcases, you know, our masa program. It showcases our sauce work. It showcases the mole. It showcases the seasonality of the ingredients that we're using in a really beautiful way. Mm, I mean, that sounds delicious. Um, and unexpected in many ways. Uh, I guess, and I'll ask, so holiday weekend, it's July 4th weekend. Some people are taking a long weekend, which means a lot of people are coming to Vegas and I'd love for you to paint me the picture. It's like Saturday night, holiday weekend, all the tables are booked. Every burner's on. What's the vibe? What's coming out of the kitchen? What am I hearing on the stereo? Like take me into the room. This restaurant, I mean, I, I'm super high energy, fast paced. Like I like go, 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 go. And like it, that is the feeling in the restaurant when we're busy mm. nonstop. And the thing about Vegas is like, we get large groups of people. We're getting bachelorette parties. We're getting mm -hmm. birthday parties. So half our dining room is like eight tops, 10 tops. Like people mm. are having a good time. They're going to come, they're going to get large plates of ceviche. It's not the, like a good variety of ceviches, uh, large format entrees, like crispy skin carnitas, all with like tortillas and stuff. And like, we have lots of large format drinks. So like people, people are there to party and have a good time. We're right next to Encore Beach Club. So sometimes like, you know, oh, yeah. from the beach club, which is always fun. Uh, we always have a DJ always playing some Latin music. Um, you know, we're playing some Bad Bunny for a while, but it's, you know, it turns into a little bit more of a, a club scene at night, a little bit more mellow uh, for that first seating for, you know, the people who might be quiet. But like, 
midnight, you're going to listen. You're going to have some Maluma. You're going to have some uh, Bad Bunny, some Peso Pluma. Like you're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be fun vibes. Mm, that sounds perfect. Ceviche, good drinks, great music, good vibe, fast yep. service, high energy. So as you hit this groove and have gotten the restaurants first few years under your feet, what's the future look like? What are you hoping to do? Any pie in the sky dreams for other types of in-house big food programs or from scratch programs? What are you looking to expand within the restaurant? I mean, I definitely want to expand on, you know, the masa program and keep pushing. It's funny that tortilla team that I keep talking about, like they're very near and dear to my heart. Like every time I put something on the menu, they're like, we want another dish too. We want more masa stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, I mean, we are always pushing to change things seasonally. Uh, You know, we'll travel around and be really inspired from, you know, the experiences that we have. Uh, You know, we'll just kind of keep adapting, keep growing. Uh, I really enjoy like large format entrees and family style things. So that's one of my favorite sections of the menu to work with and just bringing in ingredients that are unique and, you know, really work well with the chilies and the corn and all of those ingredients that we're, we're working with, but we're almost two years in our anniversary is September mm-hmm, 17th mm-hmm. or 16th. God, that's bad. Um, <laughs> and we're like really starting to find our stride and, you know, the team is amazing. And because of that, we're able to, you know, do bigger things and do more things and, you know, I think that time will really tell. Amazing. Well, Chef, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to chat with us. If people want to make reservations or follow along with you or check out the, the Masa program from afar, where can they go? How can they follow along? Definitely follow Casa Playa uh, at Win Las Vegas or me, uh, Sarah C. Thompson, on Instagram. You can book all the reservations through uh, our Instagram site. But also, if you just look up uh, Casa Playa at Win Las Vegas, you can get all of that information as well. Uh, menus, pictures, all of that. Uh, I like posting a little bit more dorky food stuff, uh, if that's Love what it. you're in- interested in. But, um, you know, you know, check us out. Amazing. Well, Big thank you to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much to uh, Tess and Andrea for setting this up. Uh, We have a song from the archives and then uh, Cassandra Jenkins live here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. So we have uh, Sam Austin and Cassandra all joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us on this Sunday. So happy to be here. And a uh, big shout out to Andrew Oposo for uh, making this all happen. He, man, Andrew has made so many things happen for he, me. He's a real life. mensch. He, a real uh, mensch. Andrew of Jessica Six, Midnight uh, Magic, Hercules Love Affair. And also, like, why we saw him last night, and the first thing he said to us was, he's like, you know what I'm super excited about? I'm like, what? He's like, Cassandra's going to be on the show tomorrow. And we're like, wow, that's the first. He's just thinking about you. Such a sweet guy. Um, and bass player extraordinary. Uh, he's oh, one of the best. And best bass face. Oh, yeah. Top five yeah. bass face. <laughs> just especially when uh, they're doing, when they were doing the uh, like fully mixed Hercules Love Fair sets and he was doing the transitions and he was conducting with his face. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, that was before my time. Was it? Yep. But, uh, you, but you've been in New York, though. I've been in New York. Andrew and I became very fast friends because of the the New York connections. Like, when we found out that we were drinking at the same bars when we were 16. Which ones? Like, um, well, the Abbey Pub is yeah. Oh, yeah. a great place to go before you're 21. Blue that and place. Gold is good, too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cherry Bar <laughs> yeah. on 6? Yeah. Sh- I was an uptown lady. Oh, yeah. Oh. And your family's still up there, right? They are. Yeah, yeah. They're still up there. And they're still playing music. Yeah, we had a house concert last night. Yeah, tell me about the house concerts. Um, we've been doing them for 12 years now. And Have you missed any? I've missed a few. Just a few, though. Just a few. I try to be there whenever I can. Um, are they are there an annual thing during the wintertime? They're actually monthly, believe it or not. And we're having two this month. Um, are you only missed a few and they're monthly? They're monthly, yeah. Oh so what are they? Um, well, last night we had a harpist, a solo harpist. It was beautiful. And, and who's we? Uh, we is my family. <laughs> I, I am a member of a family of five, the Jenkins family. And my mom actually has a blog called the Jenkins House Concerts blog and she posted Snacky Tunes today. Oh, yeah. thanks mom. Very excited. It went out to the blog community. Oh, big on the uptown. <laughs> thanks, Dear mom. mommy bloggers. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically uh, it's a, a format of we invite 65 people or so to our house. That's a comfortable number. Sometimes it gets bigger than that. And Where do you live? I live on the Upper West Side. Believe it or not, you wouldn't think that this apartment would fit 65 people, but we make it happen every month. And we invite a guest artist, usually a band, to come play two sets of music. There's always an intermission in between when people get wine and food. And usually my family will open in some way, shape, or form. And so last night my sister and I sang... Uh, Carter family song, and my brother played Naturally. a new song that he wrote. Yep, <laughs> Naturally. Um, and next, in a couple of weeks, we have Tony Trishka, the great banjo player, coming to play. It's a holiday-themed show. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> of course. Partridge Family or Brady Bunch? <laughs> We've gotten actually more, um, what's it called? The Wes Anderson film, uh, Royal Tannenbaum's? Royal t- we got that more than we did Partridge Family. That seems like a, a, a modern thing. And, and what is, we are does in your, New York, to Does your fair. entire family play? We all play. My dad is a piano player. He, Growing up, um, he made a living playing in all the hotels around New York. So the St. Regis, the Plaza. Carlisle? The, the Carlisle. He he's, just played a gig at the Carlisle. He, he was did. very excited like, about it. He likes it He's one of those like, hotel piano players he's, of like yesteryear. Exa- he's kind of a dying breed. Oh, my God. What's his tip cup look like? 
It depends on who's coming in that night. Uh, yeah. it, you know, I actually don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. I imagine Goblet, but I don't think that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like or, or Vaz. Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on the place. I think one of my fantasies as a child was being that type of piano player, but then I, you know, gave up. It's obviously. crazy. He knows so many songs. D- does he have a bow tie that he's never actually tied, just that's draped around his neck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he used to wear a tuxedo to work. And that became kind of uncool you, at a certain point. Can you point. let me know when he's playing next and I can just go and like sit Actually, there. we should yeah, just actually go. have him come in. I would love can that. He, is there, like, Do you a guys port- have a grand piano? We don't, but <laughs> would he be willing to like sort some, figure something out? Absolutely. He's okay. got to travel. Can he just, just like if Austin. he could just play, if he could just riff in the background for an hour. Oh, that would be the best. Yeah. He riffs, right? He riffs. My dad a, riffs. Come just on. one more story about your dad. Just one more question. I mean, I have actually a lot of questions. I hope he's listening right now. Does he have any of those, like, I was with, you know, Belinda Carlisle, like, really? Wrong the one. Rainbow Room. and No, I have the, the room, like, the rap pack. Oh, yeah. Like and Bobby the, and, and Frank. Oh, Bernadette, I, I I'm have sorry. stories. I don't know, we, I don't know how much time Peters. we have. We have time. We have well, time for this. When, yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I remember going to Little Italy and my mom just knowing everybody down there. Just be like, hey, Patsy. And... Later on, I found out that they used to play at SPQR, which is now closed. May it rest in peace. Um, Pour out a glass of vino for it. They were, yeah, they were the house band. And they would play, um, occasionally, they would play, uh, I'm air quoting, private parties. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really like a mafia hangout. Wow. And they were there. Gentleman's Club, speakeasy. Yeah, they they were, um, they would play so that it was just, it had the vibe of, of a party. And what was uh, touring with your family like growing up? Touring was really fun. We actually spent a lot of time in Maine, so I was excited Ooh. to hear some Maine stories today. Did you eat lobster up there? We ate tons of lobster. Uh, I wonder we, if they ever went to your grandparents' restaurant. Maybe that would be yeah. That would be some. Serious. That would blow my mind. I, yeah. I would have to lay down <laughs> if uh, you and your parents went to. Well, we'll have to go there at some point on our way up this summer. We go to Swan's Island every summer, and there's a tiny festival. Um, about halfway up the coast, and we would travel in a 56, 1956 GMC bus to get there um, with lots of instruments in tow. Um, and at that point, it felt more like Beverly Hillbillies than it oh, did okay. Royal Tannenbaum. Okay. <laughs> well, that movie hadn't come out yet, so it's, it's, an, <laughs> yeah. unfair, it's an unfair comparison. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, we spent a lot of time traveling that way and... It's currently in upstate New York. Uh, the motor needs some work, but Dad's Dad's working on it. <laughs> it's um, working. Well, why don't we? <laughs> yeah. uh, why don't we get a song? Oh okay. my God. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we were thinking about playing one that we just wrote actually this month um, after listening to Snacky Tunes um, shortly after Lou Reed passed away on Daylight Savings Day. In the perfect day in the stardust of a melody This day is a perfect day
Uh, that is really the best drum setup that we have seen here. Someone who really <laughs> understood the room that we were playing in. Uh, this is Austin Vaughn on the drums, by yeah. the way. What up, Austin? Say what's up. Hello, Snackatoons audience. Let's, uh, and Cassandra's mom. <laughs> and Cassandra's mom's follow- blog follower. <laughs> yeah, and my uh, dad. And your dad. Let's, um, how did the three of you meet? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, I... Yeah, let's get Austin in on this. How about this? <laughs> this goes deep. Let's let Austin speak for a second. Sam and I uh, met probably before we were in high school, right? Because we we're both from North Carolina. Yeah, 15. And Sam, well, 
too bad you didn't bring your clarinet, but when I met Sam, he was playing saxophone. Oh, I was... You promised clarinet, no clarinet. Yeah. I forgot it. No, man. All right. It's a spacey Sunday. We're but still... Sundays. It's, it's Sundays. tough on Sundays. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> but yeah, so we met each other when we were like young teenagers and then realized that we were both going to end up going to this school in North Carolina called North Carolina School of the Arts. And we were in high school there, like, with college kids, and we had the time of our lives. And then... And we were roommates. That's true. We were each other's first roommates, and now we live together now. Yeah. Uh, but, so then when Sam moved to New York way before I did, and he was like, you definitely should move here. I was like, I don't want to do that. And then I did. And then I met Cassandra through a guy named Jonathan Rosen, who was brothers with a guy named Michael Rosen who's in a band called Icewater and I introduced Sam to Cassandra or vice versa that's true yeah at the Manhattan Inn it was at the Manhattan Inn who also has a piano player from time to yeah. time they do like very much like my dad yeah has your dad ever, has your dad ever been there no I really want to get him a gig there yeah. but yeah it would make the story it would like add another layer to the story you just told. <laughs> let's add that layer. Yeah, let, let's add that layer. <laughs> Dad, if you're listening, let's there's, add the layer. Yeah, there's there's some really good music happening at the Manhattan Inn these yeah. days. And uh, shout out to Brooke, who uh, is yeah. one of the founders, like an b- old friend of ours who started yeah. Glassland Gallery. Cool. She's oh, cool. amazing. Yeah. And she just had a kid. <clears throat> she did have a kid. That baby is cute up yeah. on the Instagram. Yeah. Up. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah? I was giving Austin a little thumbs up. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that was a good. I, you, I used to have a radio show. I had a multiple radio shows in college. Oh yeah. So I don't, I, I don't have. He's a mic, radio uh, man. So now, when the three of you met, how did it kind of transform to you know what we're looking at here? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Um, when did three become can I, one? Can I collaboration? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Austin introduced us at the Manhattan Inn. It was a Greg Sonier solo drums night, um, and we were all there hanging out, appreciating the music and. Um, what is solo drums? Solo, solo. Austin, you want to show us what solo drums is? Uh, it's when you play alone. When you play alone. Oh, so like literally. The, it's my, really exciting. Yeah. The drummer in my band, his name is Max El Mario, and he works with at the Manhattan, and he's a bartender, and he curates because he's a drummer. He curates this night. I think it's usually on Sundays, and it's all like solo drummers, and they it's come amazing. in, and and it's yeah. Wait, is it solo drummers together? No, no, okay. by themselves. A series. Oh, okay. It's a series, yeah. Um, but shortly thereafter, we, we, I went to go see Celestial Shore, Sam's band, at Glasslands. And we were all hanging out outside, and Austin looked at the two of us, and he said, you know, you guys, you, you should collaborate. I think that'd be good. And, Austin, and Sam's response was, oh, there will be collaboration yeah. <laughs> with full confidence. And here we are today. Wow, wow. That is a bold. That's that, a bold. Sunday. It was bold. I loved that. that. A it's a good move. line. That was before yeah. we yeah. were dating. Yep. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> you, oh, you guys are dating? Yeah. Let's add that layer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you, need, you need lines like that. So right. there's a lot of collaboration going. There's on. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Sam and I have been dating ever since, actually. And wow. was it that line? Yep. That line kind of did it for me. Yep. Really? Yeah. It was like firework. And not to mention that uh, I was also going to see Sam play guitar and and. That did it for me we, too. We hey, made note, note to listeners: dudes and bands get girls. <laughs> you heard it here first. Heard on, it. Heard it on either, either pick Go up a guitar. Go get that guitar right now. Yeah, pick up a chef's knife. Yep. Uh, get some girls. She's a good we, cook too. Oh, do you? What, what do you guys you, cook together? Um, well, Austin and Sam have a really great dish. 
that they made for me that's, early on. Yeah, I can't take any credit. Okay, well. No, that's overused. Let's talk about another dish. No, 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 dish. no, 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 no. What's, what's this dish? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, see, I hesitate because we used it. The, my band did an interview with Brooklyn Magazine, and they do this thing where you're you're given a budget of twenty dollars, and and you have to cook, and they take pictures and interview you while you're doing it. Well, look, here's the deal. No have one's listening to the show, so you can talk. No, about no, no. <laughs> well, everyone. Anyway, if you are show. listening, it's a cool it's a cool thing What's in the, the Brooklyn Magazine. It's nachos, but it's it's kale quinoa nachos and chicken and chicken. Well, you can optional chicken oh, thing for, for the veg. Yeah, so you just like have a layer of you make your own corn tortilla <laughs> nachos. And then you put quinoa with red, or red quinoa with black beans, garlic, um, and then uh, you kind of throw that on top of the nachos, and then put kale, and then put it in the oven. And the kale gets crispy, and the nachos are crispy, and it's like this kale mm. sandwich thing. And then you put sriracha on it. Of course, yeah. Of course, get sriracha while you can. It's good. You guys all know about that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy. It, it's crazy. Is it closed down or is it just closed down temporarily? I think it's temporary. I think it's they're, temporary. They're still selling it super there's, hard at the fair. There's too much money to be made in Sriracha for it to close down fully. I got, I got so much money in Sriracha stock right yeah. now that I'm, I'm nervous. Why don't we hear another song? Okay. Okay. What are you guys going to play? What do you want to do? Well, I was going to say, if, if we were going to talk about one of my favorite recipes, we call it rabbit food, and it's some, some kind of like muesli creation. Um, it's the best. It's really delicious and healthy. But we're going to play a song called Rabbit um, that we wrote this summer. It was uh, my first collaboration with Sam. <laughs> and Austin, Austin plays drum on our recording of it. Okay. Ready? Are you there, Austin? Yeah. Okay, ready? It's also a, an adaptation of a Wallace Stevens poem.
I don't have really words for that. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank amazing. You. Um, Thank you so much. You have so many different types of drumsticks and accoutrement. Like, it's amazing. You have to see him play solo. I was going to say, and you hold your drumstick in a way that makes me think that I would love to see you really go to town on a drum set. You should come, you should come see me play sometime. I will absolutely come see you play. You want to you hear me pimp all the times I'm playing this week? Yeah. Yeah. What's today? Well, can we talk about Tuesday night's show? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Talk well, because Sam is on that one, too. Yeah. So, well, maybe Sam... I don't really know oh, yeah. what's up with that, but I'm super excited to be doing it, so go ahead, Sam. Okay. My friend, our friend Luke Temple of uh, Luke Temple and Here We Go Magic is... He's been booking a series at Union Pool that's kind of based around improv, improv improvising, creating music spontaneously spontaneous composition yes that that would be the instantaneous way. composition sure so luke uh luke booked austin uh austin's going to be playing with a legend uh daniel carter um a legend of the new york imp- improvisational scene um going back to the 50s 60s I mean, he no. was like born in '45 or something. All right, so like. so he, he was in New York. Got started at six. He came, yeah, he came he in the '70s. Much, he much got he, once he got his hand on those really? pots and pans. Yeah. He really just you know uh, he actually was living in North Carolina as a child. Well, that, and Ohio. That makes sense. You guys can talk about your favorite restaurants. At any rate, <laughs> so I, yeah, Austin's I'm playing, playing a duo with, him, with Daniel Carter, and I'm playing 
That's I'll be actually playing clarinet on this show with um, Jason. As long as you remember it, right? Yes. <laughs> remember it. With Jason Nazari, who's another great drummer uh, of this band, Little Women, and um, uh, some other great friends. Are there any women in Little Women? No. Of course not. No, course but not. Have, you seen, have you seen this band? No. Are they all it, really big dudes? They're, yeah. pre- they're all pretty big. They're not yeah. big. They're not big. Well, they're from Brooklyn? I mean, they're yeah. not like right, your average big. skinny tall guy in a band. Little Women is the... Little Women is the best band in Brooklyn. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. I wow. second that opinion. Oh, but I guess Darius lives in Queens. They're the best <laughs> band in New York. Ooh. Ooh. Drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big... Uh, These are expensive know. mics you to drop. You are on Snacky, too. Yeah. Uh, All and, five of you. And for the three of you, when are you playing next? Um, I, I think our next show is probably going to be... Uh, at the Jenkins House concert, oh, really? I'm going to see if Austin's available. I haven't asked him. We yet. were supposed to play tomorrow night, but it got canceled. It got canceled. Uh, Friends and Lovers is a new venue, but they're they're getting their permit straightened out. Where but, is that? Um, it's in Crown Heights, actually. Uh, so hopefully they'll be up and running soon. But on the 21st, uh, we might be doing a house show, and then probably into the new year. And uh, what's next for you guys after shows? After shows, well, we just. Recorded the song that we played first, um, and I would like to. I'm working on writing songs for a full-length album. I'm hoping to record and have done by the spring and summer. Ooh. And is it just you writing, or is there outside influence? Um, I write a lot of my own songs. Sam and I have been writing together a lot, um, and I love also taking on the songs of other friends. There are a couple songs on my EP were written by friends of mine, and I love reinterpreting other people's music so uh we'll see what happens when i put it all down on tape and uh final question before we hear one more song how do people get invited to your house jams um you can check out my mom's blog (laughs) my mom had a blog long before i ever did first wave um did your mom teach you how to blog (laughs) she kind of did actually oh my god that's amazing yeah mom i can't post this photo (laughs) (laughs) just rolls her eyes come here she's so high tech she's got her ipad Oh. Uh, same with our mom. She always says she doesn't want to ever be le- feel left behind. Cool. Oh, I yeah. hope she she's listening today, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you call her today? Hi, mom. I did. So, so did I. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Um. So why don't you give people the nuts and bolts where they can find um, you, follow you, uh, get the EP? Well, you can check out my my Bandcamp has uh two of the songs that we're playing today, and that's just Cassandra Jenkins Bandcamp and Facebook and CassandraJenkins.com. I've got. My last record came out on vinyl. I printed it in Brooklyn. I pressed it in Brooklyn. And, uh, Who did you press it with? With yeah. uh, a company that is unfortunately no longer. Oh, it's man. called EKS. And it's, it's fortunate that they, they are no longer. <laughs> they they really? owe us some yes. money. <laughs> um, but I've, I've got 100 vinyls left. Ooh. So How many did you have? Hotcakes. Only 300. Okay. <laughs> hey, Brandon's saying 101. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, you can find those online, and you can get in touch with me on Facebook. Uh, well, great. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening <laughs> to Snacky Tunes. Uh, I think we have one more show this one year. One more. Uh, show. Who's the food guest next week? I have to. Talk. <laughs> uh, we have Rad Dads as a band next week. So uh, oh, listen up. Yeah. And if you're around, come out to the Refinery29 pop-up store, 201 Mulberry Street. Yeah, self-promo, baby. Weird. It's not weird. A little weird. Um, all right. Well, um, I also want to thank uh, Emery Saltwater Farm <laughs> and uh, Paul and Kong and Rob. Um, oh, and shout out to Glassery, who makes the best rabbit dish in all of New York. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Honestly, uh, 
It's well, I mean, we were we were doubters. We were doubters, we were and doubters. and I told Sarah last night. I said, "Listen, this is like the fourth time I've been here. I've never ordered the rabbit dish. If you like rabbit, go." They say it's for two. That's ridiculous. Like maybe it's two of the Little Women, but like <laughs> it's it's like a four person dish. It's amazing. Have you had it? It's amazing. The charred pieces taste like octopus. It's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so hop on over there. All right, and uh, be back with one more episode. And uh, thanks for seeing. And what's the last song you're gonna take us out with? Well, I like how much we're talking about animals on this show today. We had lobster talk. We had fish talk. We had rabbit talk. And this is a song called "The Bird." Okay, live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs> Now I know what you are, and it does me no good, no good. Now I know, now I know. Mm-hmm.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.